Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we have another summer edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of the countless results from the pro tennis world featuring players with college tennis ties. Of course, if you've been following along this summer, you know it's been a busy summer on the pro circuit for countless players, ATP side, WTA side, challenger side, ITF side. There's always something new for us to discuss on this show. Of course, there's also always an abundance of news from the college tennis world. I know we don't have dual matches here in August. Nevertheless, we just keep getting fed gems that certainly provide fodder for us to discuss here on this show. That's why, despite the fact that we are currently live in San Diego, calling the USTA Billie Jean King girls 16s and 18s national championships, it just felt unkosher, uncouth, downright wrong to skip a week of this episode. And that is why I am always fortunate for the flexible recording schedule of the man who once again joins me on tonight's show to help break down another busy week from the college tennis world. Of course, you all know this man as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, where you can hear a fantastic conversation with the newest assistant coach for the University of North Carolina women's tennis team, former All-American, number one player in the country, Haley Carter. Of course, you also know this man as our summer beat reporter from the college tennis world. And I'm going to throw this one into the mix as well, because he doesn't get enough credit for being the original Roger Ebert of this podcast, offering us the commentary to help us get better episode in, episode out. That's why it's always a pleasure to be joined by John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Another week in the books. Have you recovered from the birthday soiree eight days later? How are you feeling, my friend? Well, Gruskin, I would say this is still tears in my eyes from your lovely birthday tweet, but in fact, it is the COVID birthday present I received when I woke Uh, up on Tuesday morning to a lovely positive gift. So I have been dealing with that this past week. I am feeling much better this week, though. But yes, um, I am recovered. You just didn't know from what. Well, let let the record show. I'm glad you're positive. I don't know. I guess that'll be my spin for today's show. You know, I got to hang out with the only person whoever gave me COVID's mom this past week, a.k.a. Tracy Austin, mom to Brandon Holt, who I'm convinced was patient zero in spreading COVID to the entire college tennis world. And for the record, you know, again, that's the only time I think I've I've never tested positive for COVID. I can't believe that. I certainly just jinxed myself having been on the road for three weeks and all of these things on the horizon. Don't worry. I'm knocking on all the wood <laughs> listeners. Well, Can we get I- a knock on wood sound effect too, please, Weston? I was the same way. I had this conversation 
two days before I went to Vegas, I was like, yeah, I mean, not that I know of, I've never tested positive. Here I am a week later, but recovering. And this is the ultimate elixir. Actually. I don't know if you read the original Dr. Fauci guidance, but not only does it, you know, vaccines, max, uh, masks, great shot podcast episodes, particularly <laughs> deciding point known to help the effects, uh, uh, cure the after effects of the COVID disease. But again, glad you're feeling better. Always appreciate you taking the time to join us with that said and my continued quest to make these podcasts as efficient as possible for Jay is. I mean, technically he's always off the clock offering us his time, but in the summer in particular, I feel like he is offering us again the ultimate favor by joining us. So with that said, let's get right into it. Let's talk about the latest news from the college tennis world. Westoff, I know you're busy right now doing production, but can we get a news sound effect like a I, I don't know what was your news radio sound effect for me it was always always all the time news radio 950 WWJ and then it would go WWJ Detroit Ding. CBS News I'm insert host that's like the news of sound effect I'm looking for Westoff put something similar here. Did you have a go-to radio show back in the day, Jay? I mean, we learned last week you're old enough to have had one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I did. It was, it used to be 101.3 here in the Bay Area, but now they transitioned to like oldies. And I guess maybe maybe they're following the audience. Uh, Yeah, but it was the morning show with, um, gosh, it's been so long. I did have a morning show. I listened to it every day on the car to school with my mom. We used to have oldies 104.3 WNIC. I feel like those jingles stick with me maybe more than any other jingles in life. But there's your opening tangent. We're back on topic here. Let's talk about the latest news in the college tennis world. And I do think it's important to put this disclaimer before we get into the topic itself. Being here in San Diego, girls 16s, 18s, national championships to be around all these college coaches again. It just feels like I'm home, Jay. It's like when Han Solo, Harrison Ford in the newest seventh Star Trek movie walks back into the Millennium Falcon and he's like, Chewie, I'm home. And it's like, yeah, it's good to be surrounded by family once again. It's been great to talk to so many coaches. If I haven't chatted with you yet, you see me, please do come say hello because my goal is to try to catch up with everyone. The point is I'm having a lot of conversations on the ground and – One of the fun tidbits I've heard, we're not going to expand on this topic, but a lot of love for the class of 2025. People are really excited about that class of high school athletes, in particular on the women's side, as I'm here in San Diego. A lot of talent, it sounds like, amongst that class, so something to look out for in the future. But the conversation I have had with every coach I have spoken with thus far and it's one of the topics that's transcending not just college tennis, but college sports more broadly is conference realignment. And I think it's important for us to have this discussion here tonight because in the broader perspective of conference realignment, the focus, of course, is its impact on football. That is what is driving it. this decision. Football, the revenue generated by these TV contracts, all of these conferences want to gear up to secure the biggest and most lucrative deal possible. The way to do that is by ensuring you have the broadest set of rights possible. And of course, the way conferences are going about doing that is by adding more to the mix. We saw obviously Texas, Oklahoma, the catalysts as they jumped from the Big 12 to the SEC, what, a year, year and a half ago, we saw 
about a year ago now, USC, UCLA announcing they're going to be headed to the Big Ten. There are just pieces still now remaining all over the country. What's going to happen to the Pac-12? What's going to happen with the ACC? We learned, obviously, this past week, Washington, Oregon, their Big Ten bound as well. Let me just say... I thought the Nordstrom Tennis Center was Big Ten country the moment I stepped inside of it these past two years. It's nice for me to officially get to plant that flag. Welcome to the conference, Huskies. Welcome to the conference, Ducks. But why does this impact college tennis is the conversation I want to have here tonight. Why is this relevant, not just from a competitive standpoint, but again, more broadly to the college tennis ecosystem, Jay? It's the conversation everyone's having. Here on the grounds in San Diego, how can you not, given the fact that, and I'm going to ask you to play cleanup here for me, but the amount of travel, particularly for these non-revenue generating sports, I mean, flights out, not just the USC, UCLA, West Coast trip now for a Big Ten team, but you're going to do that Oregon, Washington trip now as well. I was reading things. It's about as easy for Oregon to travel to Rutgers, which they'll have to do on the women's tennis side, as it is for Rutgers to travel to London. So why not just add Oxford or any of these other schools and go international with these conferences? Yes, in theory. The TV contract should get bigger, but that's just a theory. And it just feels like conference realignment, of course, puts everything in flux. But if you're a non-revenue sport in particular, you're worried. You're troubled. You're thinking, what does the future hold for us, Jay? What has your perception of conference realignment been? What's your reaction been to it all and how you think it impacts our sport? Well, it certainly impacts college tennis. Uh, You know, I feel like when the Texas and Oklahoma news came out, I felt like I earnestly was thinking like, okay, what does this mean for the SEC and Texas and Oklahoma going there? And I'm so far past that point right now. I mean, a few things. The first is that if you wanted to be more humbled about where college tennis uh, sits in the ecosystem of athletics or any other sport other than football, you just have to look at realignment. Not a single other sport is even a has a seat at the table as part of these conversations. And it's sad that college sports is equaling college football in these conversations. That's one. The second is that I why I bring up why I like earnestly had the Texas and Oklahoma. I think I wrote an article on on my website about this is because no one's safe. I giggle when you talk about like the Nordstrom Tennis Center being Big Ten country. Like talk to us in three months, six months, a year. Like none of these things are safe. No one is safe. And I do think that the tenor of the conversation pretty dramatically shifted over this past weekend when all of a sudden people came up, you know, heads above the sand after the weekend and realized the Pac-12 is the Pac-4 and you have Stanford, the winningest NCAA school in the country, sitting on the sidelines and yes, not being relevant as part of football, but being the most relevant school when it comes to Olympic sports, right, would be a medal contender if a country in and of itself. And that's backwards, right? When we start to think about college athletics, when we start to think about women's athletics. And so the tenor of the conversation, I think, did change today in the news cycles. You have a lot of people coming out and saying, wait a minute, this makes no sense. It makes very little sense for football, but people are willing to say, okay, fine, because of these TV contracts. But when you go to any other sport, 
this makes no sense. And just the hypocrisy of these schools, these presidents begging for NIL legislation from the federal government when it's all about the bottom line when it comes to these TV contracts and the hypocrisy of talking about student athlete welfare when you're going to sh- when you don't even give consideration to the fact that you're going to have to ship the Oregon softball team to Rutgers on a, a weekend trip and lose sleep, lose class. So um, it's sad. Uh, it's sad to see a lot of these regional conferences and regional rivalries get lost in the shuffle here. Ultimately, though, I'm maybe naively optimistic that we are trending towards a path where football does break itself off, which I think people are starting to realize is something that might be the way forward. Because otherwise, I don't know how a lot of these other non-football sports uh, make it through. Well, first of all, shout out to you who have now been in the game long enough to forget whether you actually wrote an article or not. Um, You did. Uh, and people can go read that article again. No ad, no problem blog. Here's the problem. And here's a sentiment I have gotten from some coaches who naturally are apprehensive as it relates to conference realignment, as it relates to their travel schedule moving forward. And I blanked out on Arizona, who might be Big 12 bound. I'm like, yeah, Arizona, yeah. Arizona State, Colorado, Utah. Utah. Looking out right yeah. for that Big 12 now. Here's the thing. Football is the hand that feeds all other college sports. And to your point about how out of whack and revenue driven college football is now to try and provide that revenue, not just to the school to pay for other sports, but to pay for a lot of things schools want to do. Was that the intent of amateur athletics at the collegiate level when it began? No. At the same time, a lot of coaches are scared to say anything because if your football program is doing well, Life is good on your campus as a non-revenue sport. It is the thing that pays for everything else you do. And look, I mean, again, from a business model, I don't know how healthy that is. Uh, you you raise the point about like what is the future for Stanford Olympic sports, which has been the feeder for success. You said I love that phrasing is an Olympic country on itself would be competing for medals just at Stanford. Absolutely. By the way, Stanford women's tennis is the premier powerhouse blue blood program in all of college tennis. That is the ultimate free agent that I'm telling you, no conference can be like, well, we get Stanford women's tennis. Like to your point, that's not going to be the decision driving fact. You break off football though. What pays for everything? Like how does no. that? That's no, I'm just saying like, that is the concern is you're right. It's this dual model of, We don't want to be so football beholden at the same time. We are so football beholden as an athletics department. Like it's, it's the, it's a catch 22. It's a, it's a serious conundrum. Yeah. Well, I think there's a way to nationalize football in a way and you keep non-football sports regionalized. Right. And that I think is, if I were to draw this up today, that seems to be the direction we're going. I mean, just look at the you know land grabbing that's happening in these conferences. That's what they're doing, right? They're nationalizing football. Um, and so football is going to go down that route. That doesn't mean, though, that we have to schlep these non-revenue sports across the country because of that. Like, why does football have to be in the same, quote, conference, right, than these other sports? And look, the reality is, is I've been really... Uh, buoyed by a lot of athletes that have spoken out about this, particularly women's athletes have spoken out about this. Coaches can either speak out now or try and save their job in two, three, five years time, right? I mean, at the end of the day, like this is not a good decision. The direction things are moving for 
tennis, which is already in a very perilous position. So, you know, I think, um, I think it's it's worthwhile speaking out now. Now, if if that's going to fall on deaf ears, that's fine. But at the end of the day, they are going to they completely are now hamstrung by these decisions that could completely derail their recruiting strategies, right? And so, if they want to live or die by these other decisions, they can. But why not speak out? Yeah, and there's a lot still unknown, and as we receive more details, we will certainly talk about this topic more over the years. I guess my last point to you, um, again, here's the thing. Okay, you regionalize the college sports, and this is where actually having the ICA and college tennis having a separate governing body might turn quite beneficial given the flux you might see. Let's say they regionalize these sports. Who's running those? Like, who is running the regional conferences? The Big Ten is worried about football. They're a national conference. They're not. They're not worried about your regional non-revenue nonsense. Like, it, you're asking for a new governing entity for all these regional sports. Well, those governing entities have to exist somewhere. Now, again, it's it's there's way too much unknown. To this is all hypothetical in my mind. They do nationalize football. We haven't seen that yet. We don't know what the structure is going to look like, Jay, but. All this turns to is flux. And I'll tell you, to your point, you said it at the start. It's just an eerie reminder. College tennis, unfortunately, will not have a seat at this table. And by the way, college tennis isn't the only non-revenue sport to, to not have. No, every, all, no at, other sport. <laughs> football has a, it's the football table and then yeah. the decisions that follow. It's fascinating. It really is. Especially like I guess if I could give like a, a line item veto, can it just be like, but can we keep the ACC women together? Because like it, it hasn't ever been better than these last three years of ACC women's tennis. That's college tennis at its peak. Whatever else happens, we're line item vetoing. You have to keep them together. Yeah, well, the last thing I'll say on this is like, um, you know, ring, ring, ring is anyone at the NCAA home because, <laughs> you know, you ask like, who who's supposed to be working on this? Uh, hello, the National Collegiate Athletic Fair. Association. Fair. Uh, so that's what I would say to that. Do you feel confident given the track record? No, but I'm saying like on paper, right? Like when we start thinking yeah. about if the yeah. conferences aren't thinking about this, like who should be thinking about how college athletics move moves forward in this like yeah. quasi amateur, maybe the National Collegiate Athletic Association with their like headquarters and employees and <laughs> and funding. And that would be the, the place I would start. Yeah. Look, I mean, hey, Charlie Baker left office with the highest approval rating of any governor in the country. So um, maybe he can do it. Maybe he is the man at the moment for the time. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's that is I can't go around. I'm I'm losing my words. This is what happens when you broadcast eight hours a day. Every coach I have spoken with, we've done at least five minutes on conference realignment because it's the news right now and it will certainly have an impact moving forward. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is I'm extremely sympathetic to coaches and student athletes and future student athletes mm -hmm. and former student athletes and former coaches. Like this is a really tough spot for so many people, particularly speaking from the lens of the Pac-12. Like the Pac-12 was decimated this weekend yeah. and just the history that that conference has, whether you are a former student athlete, a current student athlete, a prospective student athlete, a coach, like it's a really sad thing, right? Th those are records and that's history to just see demolished like that over the weekend with a few guys in suits. And that's a really, really tough thing to have happen. And as someone who's grown up 
you know, close to the Pac-12, it's a sad thing. So my heart goes out to everyone who is, you know, dealing with just the the ramifications of um, actions they can't control. I don't mean to make light of that because that's an excellent point to make. The Ojai is now available for the Big Ten. Like if if the Big Ten championships aren't at the Ojai now, that spot is wide open, baby. Go grab it. Sean, Ronnie, lead the charge. We're moving to the Ojai Conference Championships, folks. I'll fly out there every year if that's what it takes. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, again, especially UCLA, Stanford, USC. Pac-12 oftentimes is where the NCAA championship ran through. And all of that history evaporates the moment this conference realignment happens. And so I really appreciate you bringing up that point because I think it's a it's an important one to make. That said, more details to come. We'll talk about it with coaches. We'll talk about it on our respective podcast. We'll talk about conference realignment moving forward as it is the storyline transcending all college sports. We do have three tennis-centric storylines that we want to hit you with before we move on to our results. And honestly, it's going to be a quicker pro results recap episode because I don't I, – I actually I defer to you, Jay. Do you have a lot of results to get to? We got some new names. All right. That's what I like <laughs> to hear. So maybe it won't be – we'll be efficient through these last three. It's announced uh, University of Central Florida, director of tennis. I don't know why I said University of Central Florida, the UCF Knights, who, of course, we have seen top 30, top 25 school for the majority, I would say, of the past five, six years. Men's, women's side as they've made that move to Lake Nona, the UST national campus. Of course, for the duration of that move, they've been led by John Roddick, the director of tennis, who, of course, left Oklahoma after reaching, what was it, three consecutive national championships. Um, for the job, he announced this past week that he will be stepping down, resigning from the position of director of tennis. Jay, you're our beat reporter. Give us the scoop, your reaction to it. Well, I wasn't that surprised by this, just given the the results this past year. But look, something something changed drastically in terms of the vision and tenor at the USTA. Whatever lured John Roddick to USTA, whatever painted this rosy brush of Lake Nona opening in 2017, that's gone. And that can be personnel changes. There have been a few key personnel who have left um, in that time span. But look, I don't think that this was ended up being what John Roddick was hoping for in this move to the USTA and what that would look like for him as an opportunity there. I think he did turn around that program in 2021. They make the NCAA tournament. They make the second round. They're a top 16 seed, I believe, that year. And you know, they only lost like four matches. They won their conference. So he turned the program around, but I don't think it was this, um, it has not become this marquee uh, destination for like the home of American collegiate tennis. And, um, you know, it's, it's sad to see. And I, Hope to see him continue to stay in college tennis. He's a great brand name. Has been doing great things. Yeah, no, I will say it was encouraging to see Brian Kenyako named the next director of tennis. And I think there are a lot of women's coaches with the pedigree across the country who should also be directors of tennis as well. Hopefully this will start a trend in that direction. You know, Claire Pollard's not the director of tennis at Northwestern, like. I mean, maybe they just – I don't think they have a director of tennis, but – Yeah, a lot of schools just don't have one. It's a low-hanging but, fruit. Yeah. Offer the promotion. Give it to them. It's pay raise time always. Um, I think you said it perfectly. I don't know how shocked I am. I thought John Roddick may have UCS. I mean, again, 
there was not a hotter coaching candidate in the country than John Roddick after 2015, having led uh, U.S. Excuse me, 2016, having led mm-hmm. Oklahoma to national championships. 14, obviously they lose to SC. 15, 16, they're knocked out by Virginia. But that team won a national indoor title. I think it believe in that 2015 season that Dane Webb, Alex Galea, Axel Alvarez, who has taken over as the most underrated player of the 2010s in my mind, Guillermo Alcorta. There's another name from the past. That those are some formative Oklahoma teams. Spencer Papa, Andrew Harris, Harris, yeah, to a top 125 career. They were NCAA doubles champions. You thought Roddick would have that at UCF by the end of this time. And again, I'm not saying his tenure was a failure by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think it was the success I would have thought it was going to be, though, either. It's my job to be honest with you listeners. That would be my assessment of the Roddick tenure. That said, (laughs) you know what? I was going to make a point. Elevator music this West off. I apologize. Anyways, Roddick out at UCF. Uh, I do hope we see him again, though, because, again, we've seen what John Roddick can do at his best in the college tennis world. Next news bulletin, this one particularly quick. The least surprising thing to happen of the summer, given the success he's had. Newport finalist, Chicago Challenger title victory, U.S. Open wild card, almost certainly on the horizon, regardless of if he doesn't win the U.S. Open wild card challenge. Alex Mickelson has elected not to attend the University of Georgia. He's elected to turn pro, kick off his professional career. He's top 150 in the world. Likely he'll be in the U.S. Open. Very few points to defend those first three, four, five months of the year anyways. Top 100s in the cards, Jay. We saw this coming. Yeah, we definitely saw this coming. It's of interesting note to me because I'm just curious how far Georgia will take this on the social media front. Uh, you know, the, you normally don't get a big announcement to say I'm not going to school. Um, so we'll have to monitor this. I'm curious how far they will continue to uh, promote and um, track his results. Does he? We said Brooksby took. Crisis. No, we had this. We had yeah, this. We already had this discussion. We no, had he this doesn't. Discussion, so doesn't. we don't need to do it again. Um, to each your own. I think everyone, if you were, if Alex Mickelson asked any of us, hey, what's the advice you would give? I think all of us would say, yeah, turn pro. You're ready. You have the weapons. I mean, again, each decision's in the eye of the beholder, but not a bad choice by Mickelson. Last but not least, joint event this week in Palo Alto, Jay. There's rumors that the college tennis beat reporter, John J. Parsons, is going to be out on the town. What can you tell us? Well, yeah, the next first com- week, next week, the first combined ATP and WTA event in Northern California history kicks off at Stanford August 12th through the 19th. Uh, so super excited about this event. Uh, you can hear my conversation with the tournament principal, uh, former USF men's head coach uh, this week on the No Ad No Problem podcast. That's Pablo Pierce. De Almeida had a really interesting conversation with him in particular around uh, gender uh, equality and prize money. So I know there was a lot of conversation this past week about the DC prize money not being equal, despite it being a 500 event for ATP and WTA. 
talk to him about why that's important for them to have equal prize money at this joint event and what factors they have to overcome to do it. So really interesting conversation over on the No Ad No Problem podcast. And if you're in the Bay Area, you should absolutely check it out. Qualifying is free this weekend. That's don't sorry for ticket sales, but that's probably like the best weekend. If you're a hardcore tennis fan, (laughs) so much practice happening, so many players there. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It's awesome to see that. And you know, again, what is one of the best parts of the NCAA tournament is you actually have a simultaneous challenger 125 K event going on with the women's men's singles draws happening simultaneously. And, you know, this past week in Washington, D.C. was the first ATP joint 500 level event of the season for the men and the women. And, you know, college has that guarantee every May. And, you know, again, credit to Stanford, credit to everyone associated with putting this event together, because I've talked to multiple pro players. I think Bradley Klon said it on T2. He made it a point in his uh, to be healthy for this event to use part of his protected rankings, uh, one of his protected rankings in playing it because he wants the opportunity. And I'm, he actually might be offered a wild card. Don't hold me on that protected ranking thing. No, he's yeah. using his protected ranking. He is. It's not a wild yeah. card. Okay, there you go. So, again, it speaks to what it means for these players to have the opportunity to get back and play on their campus at any opportunity. And, yeah, they could honestly make it a Stanford alumni draw on the women's side. <laughs> and I could find a reason to go because there's enough good players in the past that it would be delightful. But if you're on the grounds, Jay's the one with the big smile on his face. Make sure you go say hello. Uh, oh, well. He might have a mask on his face, depending on how he's feeling. Still a week, you're, you know, still two weeks removed from testing positive. But maybe don't hug him. Say hello, and then you'll be compelled to hug him because, come on, it's John J. Parsons. Anyways, that's your news for the week. That's where things stand: conference realignment, Roddick leaving UCF, Mickelson leaving Georgia, Stanford joint WTA ATP event. Let's move on to what we saw over the course of the past week now on the Pro Tour. We have another wave of pro results to discuss. Now, I won't lie. I was caught up on the ATP WTA Tour grind last week getting to work at Tennis Channel. So my ITF challenge, well, non-Lexington challenger knowledge may be a little bit weaker this week. But that's why we have John J. Parsons here, our college tennis beat reporter, to help us fill the gaps, help us provide you with the information you deserve as fans of the college tennis world so jay i'm gonna hand the microphone over to you my friend a rare moment here on a crack rackets podcast you steer the ship where do you want to start well what stood out to you most from the past week Oof. well let's start let's go in our order i think it's easier for the listeners to follow when we start in the order so we'll start with the atp and wta um, I think, you know, you tweeted this out, but it feels like each week there is a marquee former college player event. This week, it was Alexander Kovacevic making his second ATP quarterfinal at the Los Cabos event. He knocks out another former college player in Cam Nori in three sets. So a remarkable performance, just incredibly high level. Uh, I was watching the, the third set there, incredibly high level from... Kova to make the quarterfinals. That was your standout result on the ATP side for me. Um, a few other results. So just to comment but, on that. Yeah. You know, Kova came in with that serve, with that forehand, with the obvious weaponry of, okay, this guy, and, and the desire to be a professional player. But there's just a maturity to him now. And I've had the opportunity to get to see how he works behind the scenes. And I just think he's the sort of guy who four years of college was just perfect for because 
he got to be immature and do things incorrectly and learn from those mistakes without the debilitating nature of falling from 200 to 600 in the rankings and feeling the subsequent pressure that comes and to just see how professional he is, how well he goes about embracing an environment, getting a crowd behind him. Like, it's just awesome to see. I, I just feel like he is the epitome of what development in the college tennis world can do for you in the pros. And, you know, again, now he has his desire and how he wants to work crystallized in his head. And that clarity, I think, is what has led him to being top 120 in the world already. And, yeah, to delight, to, I mean, for him to beat Cam Nori of all people, too, like that's it's just there's a little beauty, I suppose, in that. Um, no, it was a really good week for Kova. He was your standout performer in what was again a what three ATP tour level week. You had Kitzbühel, you had uh Washington, and obviously you had the action in Los Cabos as well. He certainly stood out. Chris Eubanks getting routine wins, much like we talked about Emma Navarro a few weeks ago. We shouldn't just write that off because any win at a 500 level event, if I'd have told you that a year ago about Eubanks, we'd be going nuts. Let's not lose perspective. Do you have a Gabriella Knudsen note or do you want me to comment on that now? No, please. I was waiting for that. Okay. Former Syracuse All-American Gabriella Knudsen. I had the chance to call her match, ultimately a three-set first-round loss in Prague to uh, Teresa Martinsova. Oh, my God. Like, if we would have done a podcast in 2019 together, Jay, we would have had some Knudsen debates because <laughs> I should have been for paying closer attention to Syracuse women's tennis, which is always a fascinating program because every so often they only have three players. And every so often then they have these unbelievable teams. And, you know, again, the weaponry of Gabriella Knudsen, did she make maybe 98 unforced errors over the final set and a half? Wasn't quite 98, but she hit herself out of that match and Martin Sova stayed physical. But for someone who didn't play tennis at the pro level in 2020, in 2021, after finishing her All-American career in 2019, for her to be top 300 in the world already, for her to be qualifying for these tour level events already, and for her to have that sort of weaponry, she should be playing pro tennis. Like, in my mind, I'm going to send Knutson tape to Andre Styler two years from now and be like, dude, you probably still got it. Um I was so impressed by her level, Jay, and I think there is top 100 tennis in her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those weapons alone, if she can continue to harness those, much like Akova, right, and kind of develop more of that shot tolerance, absolutely, that is well within the cards for her. Yeah, that well, those were the tour-level standouts to me. Am I missing anyone? Well, it was good to see Jen Brady back in WTA action in DC. And again, another one where it's like, yeah, Peyton Stearns makes the WTA 500 round 16 feels ho-hum uh, because that's now, you know, she's a top 60 player. But those were the two results on the uh, in DC. Played Pagula pretty tight as well. Like that was a good <laughs> match. Second set her serve her forehand. As we knew in college, they are just the real deal. And all right, I'll, I'll say it here. I love you, Peyton. Shout out to her. Peyton Stearns did me the favor of favors, Jay, because I texted her and I was like, hey, I'm on second serve this week. We're looking for guests, particularly if we could get a women's player like that's even that much better. And I was like, you will make me look so great with the producers if I can say, yeah, like I was texting Peyton Stearns and she's willing to come on the show. Will you please do it? And she goes, yeah, of course, Alex. I'm always there for the day ones. And so. I love you, Peyton Sturds. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You did me a massive favor. I owe you much like I owe so many in the College Tennis Universe. One, shout out to Peyton Stearns.
she is, was a much better choice for you. I'm putting some dots together. <laughs> much better choice for you. Well done. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Because yeah. I may have texted Jay about pursuit of other players. So yes, shout out to Peyton. Let's move from the tour level. Let's go challengers. Let's go highest level ITFs on the women's side. 125Ks, 100s. What'd you see, Jay? Well, you mentioned it's so much action in Lexington, you know, for us, probably the marquee being, uh, you know, Cannon Kingsley making his second challenger semifinal uh, after making the challenger semifinals in Columbus last year. And then Elliot Spaziri, Tyler Zink uh, of Texas and Oklahoma State, respectively, they win the challenger title, doubles title there in Lexington, the former U.S. Open 2019 doubles winner. So really cool to see that history four years later um, and you know, actually Steve Johnson as well wins the Lexington Challenger. So it was a pretty heavy college uh, Lexington Challenger, as you would expect as we come to these uh, summer stateside tournaments. Kingsley 427 in the world right now. Boulay 484 in the world right now. Trotter 512 in the world right now. I'm curious, what's Tracy at? JJ Tracy 676. I imagine Anthrop's in the top 1,000, 935. And Bernard was the best player on the team in May. Um, Bernard's in the top a thousand too. Yeah, like, and everyone but Trotter's back. Uh, you can dwell on the past if you'd like. We're a future centric show here. Uh, five of the six are back. They bring in Nakashima. Robert Cash lost one dual match last season, and uh, none of them inside. Luchonics just a free agent in the doubles lineup, and Bryce Nakashima, as we talked about, multiple doubles titles this summer. That I. Uh, Assuming everyone does indeed come back, that is a squad. And again, it's it's crazy to see all the Buckeyes have the success that they have this summer. It's a testament to what they do in Columbus. Yeah, well, you allude to if they all come back, what's the over-under on if Cannon comes back? I think he's coming back. I, I would be shocked to see Cannon Kingsley not come back. But shout out to him, man. I mean, again, talk about a guy who just deserves that sort of success and I deserved is an arbitrary thing. He just no. I, I've said this anecdote before. No one works harder than Cannon Kingsley, who even on match day will be in the weight room in that morning because he knows that's the routines you're supposed to do. You have to stick to the script. And again, I was joking around because you know how Cannon is the veiniest mother I've ever like. Every ounce of him has a vein coming out of it. And so I like we we had a little one on one when he was in um when he was in playing the. Ch- the Cranbrook challenger. And I finally had the gumption to just be like, dude, what's the deal? And and then shout out to Pat Maloney. He goes, no dude, he's been like this since we were 12. Like it was like, dude, are you lifting weights already? And he was like, no man, I just, this is how it is. And so again, shout out to Cannon still looking for that first pro title, but top 450 in the world. And he hasn't won a title yet. Like that just speaks to the relentlessness, how good he is week in, week out. College tennis needed a big challenger result. It had been a while here this summer. So it was good to see an active guy get that sort of result. And then we know about the double success. And Zinc, by the way, has won a ton of titles, whether it's with Goldoff, whether it's with Spiz. You know, Mac Kiger's been killing it. I haven't talked enough about the success he's had. Him and Goldoff, all they do is win titles when they play together. Like George Goldoff, by the way, who goes from coaching to top, what, 300 i want to say at least now in the pro doubles world it was a good week in lexington yeah i mean he was on the opposite side of tyler zinc in lexington uh but yeah they had had a lot of success together this year um yeah a lot of 
good results in in Lexington. It was you're right. It was good to see some of the college guys break through. Um, any other notes on Lexington? No, we can move on. Okay. The one other challenger note I have was in the Czech Republic, and it's a former Louisville alum, Frederico Agustin Gomez. So he made his first challenger quarterfinal. He's up to a career high of 467 uh, after playing his four slash five years of the COVID year at Louisville. His senior year, just a few years ago, was playing between three and five. And so now to see him have some of these career highs, really exciting for him to um, have his breakthrough in the Czech Republic. Awesome to see. Yeah, no, I I, I think for all of these players, again, the window is still there. Like the accelerator tour is still rocking and rolling. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's fascinating to see Every week, somewhere new, someone's competing. I saw, you know, again, you can find the graphic at no ad, no problem, or J tweets uh, on Instagram, or J tweets tennis on Twitter. Um, every week, it's something new. It's a, it's a delight to watch. And so, again, you can find all those streams for free on the ATP Challenger website. That's the Challenger side of things. What happened on the 100K high level ITF side for the women? Well, the marquee one was at Lexington as well. So it was a dual event there. It was a 60K in Lexington. Uh, the big no, yes, these combined events are are awesome. Uh, excited to see, particularly on college campuses. Shout out to those. Uh, but on the double side, so Alexis Blokina of Stanford wins her first pro title in doubles with Ava Markham of Wisconsin. They win the uh, Lexington doubles title. Not a lot of other big singles results in the lexington side but that was a big one on the double side uh and that was your largest um you know itf result on the women's side no i like to hear that again we could scroll the doubles rankings each and every week i implore all of you collegetennisranks.com you can find the live active doubles rankings i've mentioned it before but it's worth mentioning again you look at the atp doubles rankings it's the last time i looked last week for the show they made they asked me to look and i was like i don't need to look it's 34 names I, I was like i looked for the show yesterday and as of right now i think that one two three four no excuse me it is currently 36 names 36 Ooh. Top 100 ATP doubles player. Shout out to the newest edition. Guy by the name of Evan King. Did a little coaching of me back in our club tennis days when he was the volunteer assistant for Michigan. Uh, of course, on the women's side right now, it is currently, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. There are 14 women in the top 100 of the ATP doubles rankings. Ellen Perez, uh, Desiree Krychek, the top two, and both are in the top 10 currently. Yeah, every week. There's someone yeah. new. like I, and yeah. by the way, we're <laughs> um, McKenna Jones, Jamie Loeb, 118, 127. We talked about them last week. We're like two years away from seven NC State people in the top 100 of the WTA doubles rankings. OK, so when we're doing the summer deciding point in the summer of 2025, we'll be being like, oh, Alana Smith made the semifinals with Diana Schneider at the City Open. Like, I'm ready to do that. <laughs> we're just not quite there yet. Yeah. All yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah, there's. A yeah, lot yeah. of doubles results. I like to hear it. Well, you mentioned new names earlier. Yes. Can we get into some new names here as we get into the lower level ITFs, Jay? Who haven't we heard of that we should have having success on the ITF tour? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> uh, Daria Freeman of Princeton, who recently announced that she decommitted from using her extra year of years of eligibility at Duke. She just won her first pro title 
uh, 15K in Georgia. So a strong start to her uh, nascent pro career. Someone we didn't mention last week is Tassiporn Naklo of Iowa State, who is also beginning her pro career. She's now won back-to-back 15Ks in Japan. So those are her first two pro titles. Uh, you know, really, the, I would say the the headliner of who helped to build the Iowa State program over these last four years. So great to see her have success on the pro tour. That's who I have on the women's side in terms of title winners, but we have a lot of title winners this week and also new names. So another name is uh, Giovanna, Giovanni Oradani from Mississippi State. He wins his first 25K in Bolzano, Italy. Uh, so in his home country there. So great to see him get the title. Another player who wins a title also in his home country is Iro Vasa, who was the WCC Freshman of the Year from the University of San Diego. He wins his first 15K title in Finland, again, his home country. Now, I don't think Iro Vasa played the fall last year. I might be wrong. I think he came in the spring. So I do just want to footnote as someone to watch this coming year will absolutely be Iro Vasa. I expect him to have a really big fall campaign uh, since he did not play those tournaments last year. Another name that we haven't talked about uh, who won his first 15K is Adrian Oatsbach of Pepperdine, also of Oklahoma. He wins his first 15K in the Netherlands. So those are your title winners. I have a few other names who made deep runs that are worth a shout, but uh, yeah, I thought we had a handful of new names we haven't talked about this week. And, you know, if you win a title, if it's your first one, you're absolutely going to get a mention on the show. Oh, you haven't looked. I agree with everything you've said. A lot of names to turn to. Yeah, Naklo does go back to back. That's a good call by you. And again, the only per- you know, Naklo was what the first person to beat Fongrantian this season. And let's not forget that fact in dual match play that we know the level she's seen, how much success she had at the SoCal Pro Circuit to see Naklo have similar success speaks to again the standard level. If you're one of the top players in the college tennis universe, you can go win ITFs right away and work yourself towards the top 500. Yeah, I mean. You know, again, it's fascinating because there are a lot of guys like Pepperdine and San Diego are two teams who both probably enter next season thinking we should be top 16. And I just wonder if there's going to be room for both, because I do think both are perhaps talented enough to do it. And it's just going to be fascinating to see to watch it all unfold. Um, Yeah, I appreciate the Vasa shout out. He was sneaky, excellent last season. New champs. Let's rock and roll, Jay. Hit me with some more names down the home stretch. Take us wherever you want to go. All right. So ITF down the home stretch. Uh, Jonah Braswell and Hunter Heck making the semifinals of the Decatur 25K. Quasi shout out to Cash Hanslick. I don't know what to do with him. He <laughs> played at Tyler Junior College, maybe going to Arizona State, but he did win the title there uh, at the Decatur 25K. Um, a few other players, because I think that these tie nicely to like larger storylines at play. Uh, and that is uh, Isaac Bearcroft of Oklahoma State. He make the finals of 15K in Australia. The footnote there is, of course, Oklahoma State will be hosting the NCAAs this year. How good can this Oklahoma State team be is something we will have to watch over this coming season. 
Next is Alexandra Vekich of Georgia, question mark. She makes the 60K quarterfinals. And um, look, I mean, if she's on the roster, I think she's planning on showing up here in August. Um, that quietly makes Georgia a, you know, it continues to be a contender. Uh, and then the last name is someone that we have spoken about on the show, but just shout out to her dedication is Haley Giovara. She's over in Brazil. She just makes a 60K semifinals. She's serious about this pro career. I think there's an 80K there this week that she's playing as well. So uh, a lot of good names and um, a diverse set that we've uh, seen good success for over the last week. So it has to be very official. She's not coming back, right? Like she's off on the pros. If she's going to Brazil, <laughs> if she's doing all these things, do we know? Well, I mean, someone can certainly DM us and let us know, but they always, <laughs> I love the, what I love that Cal does is they keep highlighting her results. They keep calling her Cal alum. And, that, and it's like, well, that actually doesn't tell me anything. Like she could be an alum coming back. I do not think she is coming back. I think that that is the um the party line yeah it's yeah i i would i would tend to lean your way but she can and again you never close the door until it's fully closed that's the thing you never close the door i mean she's having good results but if you don't i mean these coaches can find room (laughs) in berkeley you'll be okay um yeah she has been killing it you're right just like every week you're she's Effort will not be the reason Haley Giovara doesn't reach her potential on a tennis court. And oftentimes, the sep- the difference between these players who are all so talented at hitting a tennis ball is just who wants it more? Who is willing to suffer, travel for 30 weeks and, you know, pursue the points, play through injuries, all these different things. I don't mean play through devastating injuries. I mean through the different nicks and bruises you pick up. Who's going to tough that out? Haley Giovara's got it. Like, you're right. What she, what is she? Uh, I haven't used this word in a while. Moxie. She's shown moxie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, she, like, that is yeah. what she has shown. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's well, a great we, word for her. Hey, every so often you remember <laughs> why I have this podcast, or at least I remember. With that said, you ready to look at the week ahead? Yeah, let's All do right. it. But talk to me. What do we have on the horizon other than the fantastic USTA Billie Jean King Girls 16s, 18s National Championships, which feature countless future collegiate athletes? You can watch each and every day of the competition on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, they've got some current players as well. Reese Brantmeyer, doubles champion last year, 16s champion back in 2019. She's the number two overall seed, dominated earlier today. Um, who else am I missing? We saw Caitlin Carnicella knocked off in three sets. That was a really fun match earlier today. She dropped that one seven five in the third. Oh, Smetanikov's in the draw. Um, yeah, which she seated. Yeah, my my brain exploded. I was like, what? I was like, wait a second. I was like doing the math in my head, and I was like, I guess she was a freshman. Um, anyways, current players, former players. Obviously, you look at the guy's side. Similarly, you can follow those streams from Kalamazoo, but. Follow the YouTube channel. Follow the Billie Jean King National Championships. Jay, that's my two cents. What you got for me elsewhere? Well, before we move on from that, I do have a trivia question for both you and the GOAT, Colette Lewis. I think hers is going to be more interesting, and that is the top two seeds at Kalamazoo this year both played a year 
uh, a year of college tennis in Lerner Tien and Nishesh Basavredi. When is the last time that happened, if ever? And then uh, Reese Brantmeyer, the number two seed. When was the last time a top two seed at girls hard courts had completed a um, a year in college? Bonus points if that player has also also won a team title their freshman year. So that's my trivia uh, for you and Colette. Uh, you if have she is an listening already, no. <laughs> uh, uh, trivia implies that I don't know, there's an answer. Um, that's my homework. Uh, didn't Novikov play your UCLA before winning it? That's like the last guy I remember really having success. I mean, you know, again, Ben Shelton has things since sliced bread, but he didn't win it. Sfida was the favorite going in. Yeah. And my question was top two seeds, not. Yeah, wind. I know. I know. I know. But, I'm just. Yeah, I'm you're just right. Yeah. Yeah. Novikov. Yeah. He might have played at UCLA. I know Birchholm uh, played after his freshman year in Virginia, but he wasn't seeded nor he did didn't, he win it. Um, he didn't do that well. Yeah. There will be no Henrik Slander, though, on this podcast. That's one of the OGs. Um, but yeah, just food for thought. Great it's, question. It's, hey, see, I it's one of those things I normally – I would come up with this question in my head. I'd have this late-night thought. I'd think of it. i do the research. I'd tweet it out. I'm like, ah, it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> um, and you guys are both on site. Go look at the draws. Do the eye scan. You know, I'm, you know I don't want to do that digitally. So um, you can ask First around. Of all, you asked, like, what am I going to say? Hey, do you have the Drawbook Almanac, Lorne Kuehl? And I'll be like, oh, I do have the Drawbook you, Almanac. You, they have to. Do they? Are we sure it's not all digitalized by now? Uh, well, it might be digitalized, but, you know. <laughs> Anyways, throwing that out there. It, Fair, it did, it's a great trip. Or, I mean, another thing is, like, three of the top four seeds just played a year in college. Like, there's a lot of ways to cut it. Trend I'm trying to say is, like, I, this feels new to me, but um, or, worth noting. What feels new is that young players see college tennis as a pathway, and much like other sports, they're like, you know, why don't I just finish high school early and go do another year academically? If I'm not going to do it on the pro tour, why don't I train collegiately? And I don't hate that idea. Well, that definitely is true, right? I mean, players, you know, learner gradu- graduated early to, to join USC. You see that a lot more happening um, but yeah, so obviously early to redshirt at Georgia. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's awesome. spoken about the reason for doing that was for the training purposes, right? 100%. Not able to get that in Fresno. So, uh, yeah, obviously those events are happening this week. Our, our crown jewels in the U S tennis junior system on the pro side, we have both the ATP and WTA thousand events in Canada, um, uh, I noted Emma Navarro is not playing, so that will be a ding on our like WTA players next week. But I don't know where she is. She's not playing that event. That's surprising. On the challenger side, um, I did tweet this out. You can also find it on the Instagram. Uh, actually, 13 guys in action and challenger action who played the 2023 college season. The majority are in Cary. You had Stefan Dostinich of USC, Carl Poling of UNC, Quinn Van de Castile, who's in the running for best summer of college players, all qualified to join Ethan Quinn and Elliot Spiziri in the main draw. The player I missed in my graphic, so I have to give a shout out to this oversight, is Aaron James Williams playing in Germany qualifying. He is a from Georgia Southern. And then lastly, the big one on the women's side this week is the 100K in Landisville, Pennsylvania. You have Mary Stoyana of Texas A&M. And former players, McCartney Kessler of Florida, McKenna Jones of UNC, all receiving wild cards as well. It was fascinating to hear 
Haley Carter on your podcast discuss getting to travel with these players who are playing throughout the course of this summer and discuss or she did it last summer, I believe, right? She can't do it this summer because she's been busy with the move. She's doing she did it both. Oh, shout out to Haley. But she did yeah. talk about being busy with the move on the show. Yes, she uh, was busy with the move and moving in with that. Jamie Loeb. Yeah, exactly. And um, it was interesting because she made a specific point to say like p- about playing in the college summers. When you said, what advice would you have for any college players? And say, hey, go play. Go learn through your what you need to work on, what you need to develop to be a better pro. And again, more than anything else, why have we launched this summer edition of The Deciding Point? Because players are freaking playing. And uh, plenty more ITF opportunities this week. Shout out to our boy Lexi Galarno, who's become the social media face of the action in Montreal. Obviously, a Canadian in the main draw, always a big deal. But let me tell you what, he's got the face for it, Jay. He's got the jawline. That is a handsome AG. Um, and so it's great to see him celebrated. And you're just not going to meet a nicer human in the world either. And so shout out to Lexi Galarno for the continued success he's continued to show. A clean-shaven looks good on a few AGs I know. <laughs> did I send you the photo of me hatless on the T2 set? Uh, did you tweet it out? Uh, someone might have. with a hat. Yeah, someone might have. Uh, okay. Or Instagrammed it. I, I don't know. I'm not on the Insta, so I don't know what does or doesn't make it there. Um, yeah, man. I, uh, it's it's a blast. Um, it's always a delight to see so many players experiencing success it's why these summer editions of the show have been so fun and easy for us to record that said i think we hit everything right just under an hour that'll do it for this that'll do it. episode any final thoughts jay before we wrap the show no uh keep me posted on the good tea from san diego oh. yeah I mean, I'm, <laughs> well i'm not going to because anytime a coach tells me anything i keep it to myself and i'm extraordinarily private and very trustworthy jay so Unfortunately, I won't be able to share any of the tea with you. It's unfortunate. WhatsApp, you know, it'll come your way. (laughs) Um, No, it is always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. And to your point, coaches in San Diego, if you're listening to this show and you see me wandering around, I'm not going to lie, I'm hidden for a lot of the day broadcasting. But at the end of the day, I try to come out and hang out for a little bit to talk to as many people as I can. I saw Pete Billingham, my guy who I've known now for a decade, talking to Parsa. And I was like, am I going to interrupt this conversation? And I didn't. So, Pete, you're still here. There, first of all, there's a 0% chance Pete listens to minute 58 of the show. But, Pete, I'm going to find you. Um, and so, yeah, those are my thoughts, Jay. Shout out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for the editing job he does day in, day out, making all this content possible. Shout out to all the support we get from our friends, of course, across our Tennis Channel Podcast Network family of shows. With all that said, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great job. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.